He's the host with the most. And this is The Saturday Show with Edward Hayden. Hello, good morning. Yes, indeed, it is The Saturday Show. And indeed, it is me, Edward Hayden, with you and with you right through until 12 noon. And hopefully you're in a position to stay with me and us until then. Mila Buirkas, David Arash Arish, Arahendig, Nuth Arish. Now, very special day uh, today. So don't move an inch because very shortly I'm going to be introducing you to my very special co-host. But before all of that, letting you know that you can contact us on 083-306-9696, which is our dinnersready.ie contact line for all of your texts and whatsapps or of course you can telephone us on 1800 90 96 96 should you so desire and we'd love to hear um, from you uh, coming up on this morning's show we have lots of very special guests good old friends of the show popping in to uh, chat with us this morning very shortly we're going to be chatting with a new social media social media virgin Faith Amond is going to be coming in she's telling us all about uh, her uh, recent proclivities on social media she's on Facebook and Instagram showcasing all of the fashion and style that she is so renowned for of course uh, a multi-award winner and let me tell you she's looking absolutely fabulous this morning in the black and white monochrome and uh, the Melogian bag that you heard tell of from the iVerk show there at the end of August has uh, resurrected itself with Faith so we'll be chatting with Faith and Non after that of course another good friend Paul Murphy uh, hurling legend indeed will be popping in to tell us all about um, I suppose the importance of fitness and um, how uh, sport is such a benefit to his life and how it is such benefit to other people's lives as well. Of course, uh, Paul, known from uh, former senior Kilkenny player and known from Dane's Sports Club, which he often comes in to tell us all about. We're going to be joined by our resident psychotherapist, Mags Bowen, this morning. And she's going to talk to us all about relationships this morning, but more especially the relationship we have with ourselves and how the important, uh, how important it is to be in a good relationship with yourself and perhaps we might be able to navigate uh, some top tips around um, how uh, that can happen. Councillor Mary Hilda Kavanagh is going to be joining us in studio. She's going to be telling us about that top lobe of the county up in North Kilkenny that has been severed off and thrust into Tipperary um, for the next general election so she's going to tell us all about that and of course it wouldn't be the Saturday before the National Planning Championships without touching base with um, its managing director Anna Mae McHugh of the National Planning Championships to see how life is above in Rathaniska ahead of the Planning Championships which open this coming um, Tuesday morning. Now, as I said, we have a very special treat for you this morning because I think for the first time ever on the Saturday show, we have a co-host in. Uh, must say thanks obviously to Carl Dooley who sat in uh, last week while I was uh, off gallivanting. So thanks to Carl and Carl will be back with you tomorrow um, afternoon here on KCLR with um, the classics hits. So um, I'm delighted to introduce you to Niall Breslin, a.k.a. Brezzy. Good morning. How are you? How's I'm very going? good. How are you? I'm grand. I drove down, got up nice and early to down to see you. Well, listen, uh, it's much appreciated. Uh, you're going to uh, relieve some of the burden this morning, so you're going to help me chat to all of these uh, wonderful people that we have lined up. Yeah, and they are. I'm actually looking through all the, the ins and outs and ups and downs of them. It's just these types of kind of chats and, and, and people like Faith is out there now, look, she's making a shame of us in our, in our Ralph Lauren shirt. There By the way, it. we're wearing the yeah. same shirts. 
for anyone who can't see it, it's different colours, but yeah, identical. Yeah. And the same coloured trousers. There you have it, yeah. It's the so twin. The uniform of KCLR. But now I, you have I, it. I kind of, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Ralph them. Lauren, of course, wouldn't be a bad uniform. No, it wouldn't be. But this this shirt, is uh, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit small for me now. It's one I got from my communion, so it's, uh, I've grown out of it a little bit. Talk to us about radio. Um, you're well-versed with radio. I, well, I love audio. I just love audio. Mm. I think, especially during a pandemic, I found I kind doesn't of matter how the shirt fits. No, exactly on audio. <laughs> yeah, and but also I, I found it quite comforting in the in the pandemic. The kind of not just the audio and podcasting and radio world. I kind of felt TV. I I, I kind of adopted myself away from TV a little bit and fell more into going for walks because that's all you could do. You know, you literally couldn't do anything mm-hmm. else. So I was going to listen to radio and and listening to podcasting. So I think audio is very intimate mm. and it's, it's, it's like people listen to this now. There's a, wherever you're listening to it, your kitchen and your house, you're going for a walk. There's an intimacy in it. You know, it's generally in, it's right in your ears and I think it's something that I, I love doing. So I've done radio over the years. I, I did, uh, you know, some music shows and stuff like that. But it's a lot of work, you know. It's it's not something you can half do, so you have to be committed to it. But of course, I do podcasting once a week, which we put a lot into, and I love it. I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it. Because all of the inadequacies and the lack of prep can be very easily exposed, can't they? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, time is a long time to fill. It really is. But you know where I find it, Edward, is if you have an interview with somebody and you haven't prepped for it. And you find yourself in the middle of an interview thinking, where am I here? This is, and it's the loneliest, worst place to be. And, and on the podcast, you can't do that. So I've had a few of them now. And you, you kind of promise yourself you'll never find yourself in that position again. But I do find that, when, same thing here. I'm delighted a lot of these people are able to come into the show. Mm. There's a huge difference when you're mm. in a room with somebody. There's definitely, you read body language and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think radio has been the great saviour of, of the pandemic. It really got people through it. I'm not expecting it to happen today because all of our guests are well tried and tested on the show. But um, in terms of guests then that you don't, uh, that don't have that connection or that struggle to kind of, to answer, you know, sometimes we'd have people and you ask them questions, there's like a, a, a two, a two second answer or something like that. Talk to us about uh, how you navigate that on the podcast. It's, that's a tough one, especially given some of the topics that we'd be talking about. Mm. And the, the key to it is if, if you can feel you're going somewhere that they don't want you to go. You have to be very wise and, and, and you have to disarm them. So I think the start of the interview, it's, disar- it's disarming the individual and making them feel like this is just a conversation in the kitchen with a cup of coffee. And that's what you've got to do if you don't manage that. But I've had, because you're dealing with like academics, you're dealing with people who've lived experience, you're dealing with... The one thing I do feel with podcasting, it's not about big names. It's, it's about big stories. Mm. So you want that story from the individual. And I think that's what people relate to. And if you want, you know, your big celebrities, watch TMZ... Mm. That's not really what podcasting's for. It's to give people a space to tell whatever their story is. And actually, on Where's My Mind, the, the biggest listen to episode we've had, and we've had Deepak Chopra's, we've had Moby, was actually a lad from Ballybrack, Eddie, who was from the Men's Sheds in Ballybrack, and he just opened this beautiful conversation. He's in the 70s. And he just started talking about how he, he wasn't going to pass on the baton to his family anymore. And he was going to... And it was really powerful. It was a most listened to interview. And that was, I said, sitting in the men's sheds in Ballybrack with a, a, a little Zoom recorder. 
Talk to me uh, about the podcast, of course, because that's what you've come down to uh, to celebrate, if you like, or to promote your uh, on a national tour at the minute around Ireland with the the live version of the Where Is Your Mind, Where Is My Mind podcast. So that, you know, a lot of cases, you know, you're recording that in your studio or at home. But now you're taking this on the road. You're coming to Kilkenny and I I have to uh, publicly disclose you have uh, very kindly invited me to be your guest. Uh, I'm a bit, uh, I suppose... Daunted is the wrong word. You know, you just that fear of what's what's it about. Give us a sense of the Where Is My Mind podcast. I can let our listeners know it's coming to the Set Theatre on the 1st of November and tickets are available. That people can be part of that intimacy. Yeah, well, actually, I I asked you to be my guest because you interviewed me a few years ago and I felt right. That was uh, like one of the best interviews I had done. Like, and I didn't expect it to be, you know, we didn't have much time. We kind of had to rush it. It was before Mm -hmm. a show. And I said, I'd love to reverse that now and and have the same conversation you had with me, Mm -hmm. with you, essentially. And um, must listen back to it. Yeah, well, actually, you know <laughs> what? Tips. I just remember walking out going, wow, that, we really went there and it was yeah. really strong. And with the podcast, you know, we, you know, there's an expectation of because the topic is like, where's my mind? It's it, we're, t- we're exploring the mind, but we're, it really is quite a funny, irreverent, heartwarming look into the mind. It isn't that intense heaviness that people might expect. You c- you cannot bring that to a live stage. You have to bring a different element. You have to entertain. You have to have a bit of music, a bit of spoken word, a bit of mm. guests, monologues. And it, it's a show. You have to deliver a show. You know that more than anybody. You can't walk up there and, and, and preach. Mm. I'm not speaking from a place of hierarchy. I don't know what anyone's carrying. I speak with people. And it's kind of disarming the audience too. So, they, you know, you need to use kind of laughter and comedy to kind of bring people into the accessible conversation around the mind. And the mind is a scary place for some people. So that's what the podcast is and the live show. It's a lot of fun and people don't expect it to be. And the guest is a huge part of that because the guest is the person that kind of takes everything I say in the first part of the show and and kind of highlights it in the second half. And the reality is, as human beings, a lot of what I talk about, especially after the pandemic, is that people are saying I'm anxious, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed. And I'm like, of course you are. We just had a global pandemic and, you know, in the words of Elton John, we're all still standing. So maybe we're a little tougher than we think we are. And this is what people need to hear right now. You know, they don't they need to hear that, you know, they're a little stronger than they think they are, that Winnie the Pooh quote. You know, we are stronger than we, we believe. And I think that is ultimately what I want people to walk away with is that sense of empowerment and, you know, collective consciousness that we're all kind of connected in our own little weird way. Max is joining us later on. I always tell her, um, you know, I'm big into that whole Irish tradition of visiting and I always Mm. think it's really important to visit with yourself as well. And that doesn't need to be kind of very deep and explorative, but it's just nice to maybe look at where you're at, what you're thinking. And, you know, if any little tweaks or changes can be made to make yourself feel a little bit better. But people are, you know, in, in... a lot of different types of difficulties. Yeah, you know? and I, what one of the things I talk with, like I'm obviously mindfulness is what I teach, and I'm a mindfulness kind of um, practitioner. And one of the questions we ask in mindfulness to our groups are, what what are the attitudes of a good friend? And people will throw out things like loyalty and honesty and compassion, and you go great, yeah, dead right. And then you ask them, how many of those do you offer to yourself? And a lot of people realize in that moment, maybe not a lot of them. And ultimately, what you're trying to do is is to change your relationship with yourself, which seems like a bit like a, an inspirational quote in Fridge Magnet philosophy. And it's a lot of work. And sometimes you need a little bit of help to do that. I did. 
And I had a different kind of inner kind of critic in my head. And it was the fact that I always believed the only way I could ever be happy is if I achieve things. Mm. But actually, in my own work, what I found out is my happiness. And I mean, not my sustainable happiness, because I have my days like everybody is my f- connections with my f- my family, my relationships, my friends who I surround myself with. That is the most important part is not just your relationship with yourself, but those who you're around. But I think the other thing is sometimes the wellness industry, you know, sells us this idea of resilience and being better versions of herself. And I, I kind of I'm kind of had it with that kind of stuff. I'm just like, you know, the reality is if we keep telling people to be better versions of themselves, they're going to assume that the way they are isn't That's good wrong. enough. And that's, in a, in essence, one of the problems. So that's ultimately what I try to teach in mindfulness in the podcast. And also, as I said, anyone who comes on a podcast or a radio and tells you they've it all figured out is lying to you. Mm. No one has this figured out. And well, I can tell you in advance of November the 1st, I've anything but it all figured out. We can't wear the same shirt. <laughs> no, though. absolutely. We'll have to sort out the wardrobe. Um, now, uh, plenty of love coming in on the text line. Uh, Bridget, the Queen of Mullinavash, has been on to say lovely to hear Brezzy on the radio. Another texter on our text line, 0833069696, says, Hi, Edward, I was at a talk some years ago in the New Park, I think, and Brezzy was doing the talk and he was so good. It's uh, great to hear him on again. Thank you. And uh, that was a uh, Favourite Kilkenny talk, if I do remember. It was. Uh, with, yeah. uh, Michael Fenley uh, was there on mm-hmm. the night as well. Listen, we're going to take a little ad break, and after the ad break, we're going to chat with our first guest of the day, and Rezzy will be introducing her to you just after this. Stay with us. This Saturday show on KCLR with Edward Hayden, and for one day only, Rezzy. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. So, Faith Ammond, Carlo Native, is immensely well-known, outrageously glamorous, sitting here beside me. I feel like an absolute I, I, philistine here in my my half-iron shirt. Well, she'll um, be looking at the Ralphie. She I likes know, a bit she, of a she likes her, but she's, she's, Are you looking at me going, you should have ironed that before you came in? An award-winning milliner. And she is... Oh, she, I think you've won literally every best dress thing, lady. That you, And I've judged a few of them, and they're very, very intense and serious and, and incredible. And... You're here to chat about style, confidence, social media and life in general. And I do believe that you are now on social media and we're just having a brief chat before you came on about the wild, wild west that is social media. So it's great to have you, Faith. Well, indeed. Thank you. Uh, Thanks to KCLR and Edward and Brezzy. It's such an honour to be in your company this morning. You are looking amazing, by the way. Tell us about your your style on a Saturday morning. Oh, gosh. It's just a cream um, jacket, linen jacket, um, silk for Edward. Pussy pussy bow. He loves the pussy bow shirt. So I said, I have to wear the pussy bow shirt for Edward and uh, the black trousers. And just a pop of colour, yellow shoes and my Melodian type bag. Um, this bag was a, a big hit, Faith, at uh, the Iverg show. Tell us, show Brezzy your bag. Instead Bring of the, the weather, it's the talking point now. That yeah. is, that's an impressive looking bag now. I need to get one of them for my partner. <laughs> well, I loved it. I saw it about maybe a year ago. Watched it every time and the sale was on and watched it again. And I was very lucky to get in the sale at the end. And uh, But yeah, it's lovely. And it gives lots of um, variants of colours. And it's just different. The thing about bags, I always like a fashion, you know, it's... It, uh, I really respect like the passion people have for fashion, but when you start seeing the bags and you see the price that some of them are, and you're thinking to yourself, like how my friend as a my name is Teddy started doing these beautiful Irish bags, but then um, 
like like they're just how how expensive can bags get? Yeah, they are gorgeous. I know the label and they are lovely. Yeah. Um, and this is the smaller type, the crossbody. Uh, they are expensive, but I suppose look, it's like everything. If you can afford it and you love it, buy it. I would never judge it by whether it's a bag for ten euro or it's a bag for a thousand euro. If it's the bag that you can afford and the bag you like, buy it. Mm. Enjoy it. And that works with the regout. Absolutely. I mean, you're not going to go out every day buying a real expensive bag. So buying a bag that you love and if you want to pay the money for it, why not? You're going to use it. I just probably wouldn't buy a bag that I'm going to wear once to a wedding and spend, you know, as I said to the ladies, you spend maybe a hundred euro on the bag and it's on the, it's probably on the floor with the leg of the chair on it by the time the night is out. Mm. So if you can have a bag that will look just as good whereas if I was buying my everyday bag like this one I have um, why not if you can afford it buy the one you love Mm. rather than buy 10 that's kind of cheaper and maybe you don't like any of them Mm. Absolutely Faith you went to the social media anyway you decided to set up a a platform because your outfits are so iconic and I was telling Niall this morning you do tog everyone out from uh, (laughs) the right bras to the right tights to proper coats and everything in between but now you have a social media where people can keep an eye on your style and perhaps maybe try to emulate it. Yeah, well, at the moment, uh, I'm not familiar with it myself. It was you prompt me, Edward, at the Ivork show. So a friend of mine is, is very kindly doing it. So she said, just give me the photos. It's very simple. I'll put them up and you do, do nothing. That's wonderful. But I suppose in a few weeks' time, I will have to do something. So at the moment, they're just photos from recent or some from the past. It's like rolling back the years with some of them. But um, it's lovely. And I just want to say thanks to everybody that's looking at them because... I have no clue even how to reply to them at the moment. So I'm useless. But in a few weeks time, I promise I'll be, I'll, you know, I'll try and well, get a better. There's yeah. a swell of love coming in on your posts. I'm keeping an eye on them and they're all giving you plenty of love because oh. you are very popular because you're a long time in this game, Faith, and you're a long time helping the women of this region with, with style and, yeah. um, you know, that finished look for, for weddings and whatever, as well as talking yourself out, you're helping yeah. to talk everyone well, else you out. You know, I love it. I love meeting. We meet wonderful people and uh, every person is different. The outfits may be the same sometimes, but the person wearing it is different. So you just can't say one fits all. It's to suit the person and their personality. And sometimes maybe to give them a little bit of confidence and make them push the boat a bit, you know, because they'll often come back and say to me oh I'm glad you made me wear the bigger headpiece or I'm glad you told me to do whatever or even lately I said to a girl put orange lipstick with that and she was kind of saying I was crazy (laughs) then she came back and said gosh I wore the orange lipstick and that for me is wonderful Mm. it's not about wearing something different it's different if it suits you Mm. I think that's the interesting thing about I've a lot of friends who've worked in fashion and confidence is a huge part of fashion I think Irish people especially and I'm myself I grew up if I dared if I even dared wear something a little bit nonconformist when I went out, my mates, I wore a suit once, a suit top jacket once, and I was called Des Lynham for, for 10 years by my <laughs> okay. mates because they, they, they couldn't understand why I was going, well, I actually want to try this. And it, it takes confidence to go, I'm going to, especially if you, where I was growing up in Mullingar, where it's probably a smaller regional town where people would, would really take something you're wearing and either they'd never celebrate it, you'd never get a compliment, I but know. it would be a backhanded. What's the story of that confidence? You work with a lot of, especially ladies who might feel, I, I don't want to wear this because you talk about social media. I think what social media does for a lot of people is remove that confidence from them and remove that 
that constant looking at themselves going I'm not this person and I don't look like this person and I can't wear this how do you get across yeah, that? Absolutely people feel sometimes they have to conform with and especially young girls starting out I think it's awful they're spending too much time following you know following trends and they have to look like this they have to look like that I think you need to have your own space and just do what you feel is right for you now I know sometimes some of my ladies even they love if I give them a little push along and say look go on we'll do it but at the end of the day, when they're walking out the door, I'd say, it's like food. I always compare it to food. If you don't like something, nobody else is going to change mm. your mind. But with a little push or even try it, well, then you can maybe change your, your ideas. And they'll say to me, you know, it's all right for you, but I'm no different to them. You know, I could be some of their, I could be their granny, let alone their mother. So I can't see why they can't do it. Mm. You know? Yeah. And I think that to me is the thing out of fashion. And I think like... You know, I was actually the other day was and I haven't got a fitted suit in a long time. Like the last time I got a fitted suit was for I think was probably for a wedding, not my own, but um, yeah, yeah. our wedding. Don't disappoint and the listeners. No, no, now. no. Um, and I remember they, they were fitting it on me, and I was like, "This is actually you feel." I could immediately when I when I got on me, and it was being kind of pinned, and you could see yeah. it. You're like the f- you could feel your confidence you growing in the suit, yeah. and it was just a simple idea of someone going, you know, taking your you know whatever. Out of your comfort at, zone. Out of your comfort yes. zone. And, and they picked the suit that yeah. I was like, I'm never wearing that. But then when they put it on, I was like, actually, yeah. I'll give this a shot. Yeah, and people are going to comment. And you, if it's something different, it's a talking point again. You know, with the ladies, and some of them have a huge hat or some of them whatever, they're usually going to comment on the hat because it's the talking point. It's like with my bag. Do you know, that's not saying, you know, men will sometimes say, oh, it's like a a flying saucer it's like whatever and it's it's. but that's not that doesn't mean it's not nice mm. it's just a talking point for something to say and I'm sure if if they notice it it is nice yeah. of course yeah and that's the thing I mean and it is so unique isn't it Faith I know you were telling me before that when you are going to an event you really don't know what you're going to wear until the day and it's very much what kind of guides and drives you on the day? Absolutely. Two weeks ago, well, I didn't even know I was going until that morning. Things are a little bit strange at the moment. I have a sister very sick. Mm. Uh, Frances in Waterford, say hello to her. Not if she's listening. Good morning, Then, Frances. of course, all of my aunt is in Bagnallstown. And so it's kind of, it depends on the day, what the day brings. But uh, that was the bank holiday Monday and decided at eight o'clock, everything was fine. We we're going to go to Down Patrick, And... Like I think of Edward with this because the skirt, the top, they were all bits and uh, pulled them all together. Cream, of course. And uh, I got the prize for the most stylish race score. It was the Bank Holiday Monday down Patrick. And that was lovely. But that outfit, it wasn't, you know, like got out of the bed this morning late and uh, had <laughs> the shower and got. And this, I never know. But then I suppose if you're used to doing it, you don't have to know. Mm. I don't stress out over it. I've judged a few of them and I I judge actually I I, I lie I judge one of them and I swore I'm never doing this again I never saw a competition like it it was they they arrived and they they were like it is really competitive isn't it to win these things but what I would always say for the young girls don't be worried about not being chosen only one person can win only one person can win anything any competition only one horse can win the race so I wouldn't over worry if you go you enjoy you enjoy getting dressed up you enjoy the races you enjoy Mm. the day out it, there only can be one winner and I keep saying to the young girls now because they'd be saying to me and what's lovely they be saying oh we always look at you and we always whatever and but I'd say enjoy it 
but don't worry about the end result and don't give up. I said to a girl only last Sunday at the Curra, I said, well, she was about 30 and she, oh, you know, I said, look, you look gorgeous. You're enjoying the day. Will you last for 40 years with that attitude? Yeah. Like I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. 70 now and mm. uh, you don't, you know, and it's great to be so well and to be my age. Actually, only during the weekend, someone asked me and I said, I'm 70. Then I said, I'm 70 and a half. So mm. th- when I last said that, I was probably four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the child, Jane, my mm. grandchild, she would say, Granny, I'm five, five and a half. That half is always important. And then I forgot about it for years. I know the half is important again. And you had a good wobble of health in the middle of it as well, Faith. I and did, you yes. That back. Yeah. Um, I had cancer 19 years ago and for a year, yeah, I was on chemo for a year, breast cancer. And uh, I was I had a week, I was wearing a week for two years. I was bald for two years. But you know, that's not important. But I'll tell you what it does. It makes you appreciate every day afterwards. Mm-hmm. You really appreciate every day. I don't worry about yesterday. You can't go back on yesterday and you can't tell what's going to happen tomorrow. So I mm-hmm. suppose I'm... I'm able to enjoy every day and but a lot of people haven't that opportunity and haven't that good health and I always remind it always reminds me of the other person. I haven't sent a text to Casey Law, but a text has arrived that I personally could have written. Mm-hmm. It says, good morning, everybody. Not only is Faith the most stylish lady I know, but she's the most genuinely nice person I've met in oh. many's a year oh, and that's, thank you. that's the way it goes what's the next uh, gig Faith what's the next um, I don't know we may go to Listole for a few days now next week um, it's the ploughing and it's also Listole but Listole would probably be my preference we'd always go to Listole but again it depends how things are mm. and uh, I saw there was an article in the paper Barbara Parr had a piece in the Independent the other day about Louise Kennedy I was thinking of you I was looking to see has Shannon new capes uh, no. Kate is a big Louise <laughs> fan yeah. yes Ah, uh, yeah, but you know, my clothes—I would have them for years. What I wore two weeks ago, I have six, seven years. Uh, I wore it in Punchestown. Now, a coat like that, as somebody asked me, I said I have it seven years, but I probably didn't wear it seven times. It's not mm. like your coat running down for your pint of milk in the morning or whatever. You don't get the wear. But I think if if you buy kind of classic, and I'd always change it, maybe like with the bag again or with the yellow shoes or something but usually my my uh, clothes are kind of classic and they have to last I think that that fast fashion society that we've created is just the kind of prime example of like this kind of consumerism for clothes rather than this real I call it almost mindfulness for clothes where you appreciate every stitch in it and you you see see it trends and the trend is always going to be like at the moment now uh, if we're going into the autumn winter and I see purple uh, is going to be a very big colour uh, moss green but they're lovely but you can't beat the classic because if you're going to buy a good coat mm. you're probably going to buy something that you're going to have for at least another five or six years or ten years so it depends on what it is if it's something for a wedding it's for the wedding and that's it I had a conversation yesterday with a lady and a lot of people I found um, actually since um, COVID they didn't want to have something like the coat and the dressing coat or the suit or whatever. They wanted something they could wear again. But they have to remember, do you go to the wedding with something you can wear again and are the three guests with the same dress? Mm-hmm. So I said, if you don't mind that, you know, but if you're going to go for occasion wear, it is for the occasion, mother, bride or groom. So if you're going to downgrade a bit and you know what I'd say in that occasion? I'd say, well, if you have it right for the day and you feel this is really perfect, I really feel good, I wouldn't worry about the next day. If you're buying a coat, it's a different story. 
you're buying mm. it for the next day and the next day and the next day. Mm. You know, so it depends on the occasion. But if you downgrade something, and what I would ask myself, if I was the mother of the bride or groom and I'm buying the outfit and I see this lovely dress and I'd say, would I buy that now if I was the guest at the wedding? You know, so if you're going to be able to buy it and wear it several times on the guest, it's probably not going to be unique enough. Mm, you know, day. so it depends on what you want. If you go out and you're happy that you can have three or four guests with the same dress, mm. that's fine. And you can't prevent it. I, it's happened to me twice that, you know, and that doesn't matter. I just say we have good taste. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And listen, uh, I think as we conclude, we can certainly concur, Faith, that you have good taste. Yes, and sure uh, everybody would love to go through Faith's wardrobe and get a rummage and uh, <laughs> maybe lift a few of the frocks out and tug out for the, the race day. Faith is always so gorgeous Thanks, to see you. you. You look absolutely amazing. Thank and you, you are so absolutely much. amazing. Thank greetings you. to Francis to and your, Olive. Thanks. And, we'll and thanks to all your listeners. Our prayers. Yeah. Uh, the lovely Faith Ammond there. Let's take a break. Back after this. This is the Saturday Show on KCLR with Edward Hayden and the one and only Brezzy. Paul Murphy, hurling legend, Kilkenny, Intermediate Championship Club, Dainsworth, which I pass, I've cycled past Dainsworth a few times. Have you? Yeah. yeah, I've done like, it's, it's, I used to do a lot of cycling around this part of the world. Former Kilkenny senior hurling player and uh, 94 league and championship appearances in a decade long intercounty career. And I suppose what we were going to start with, I think, because both of us probably something in common in this regard is early retirement and what yeah. you can do and how your identity gets wrapped up in what you are as a hurler or a rugby player. And it can be hard to shake that when, mm. when, it, when it gets taken from you, probably out of your hands, it can be even more difficult. And I spoke to Dan Levy, Irish international, yeah. one of the best number sevens we ever had, who whose career ended overnight with an knee injury. And, mm what it did to him can you talk to me a bit, a bit about that I think it's something that I don't hear enough about in, yeah. in sport because sport is beautiful and incredible but really can be devastating sometimes yeah absolutely it can be the best place in the world and it can be the harshest place in the world within the space of a week um, and I think retirement for any person really playing any sport the day you kind of turn around and close one door really because look at the end of the day I'm still playing with my club so I still have that but stepping away from what's going to be the highest point of your career can always be tough um, and you know something I found really interesting from from my point of view at the time it was very much a relief because it was the decision was the problem was that okay I knew I was at a crossroads where I knew I was my mind was telling me to step away but there's a part of you that you've gone through brick walls for 10 years and you've just kind of turned your back on you know the voice in your head telling you you can't go any further and so on so when you actually just take stock and you say, right, well, before I go through the next brick wall, I'm going to have a think about this. And mm. I knew it was the right decision to step away at the time. And I remember speaking to my wife at the time and she could sense that it was a great relief because I'd made the decision. I was happy and now I could move on. But like recently I did a, a workshop with the GPA. It was called Beyond the Field and it just basically brought 12 players together. And the purpose was to delve into 12 players from ladies Gaelic football to hurling to uh, right across the board different ages some were forced to stop through injury some stopped because it was their own decision and it was just the wide variety of emotions people felt mm. during that and I think the two biggest ones I would say that were evident in all people were the loss of identity was the big one but then bitterness mm. which is dangerous one to have because a lot of players who maybe I'm, I'm lucky that I won All-Irelands and I won All-Stars and those is what in in our world of hurling and football is what people look at but people who maybe didn't achieve that potentially have a chance to get bitter that mm. well I, I gave so much but how come I didn't win um, and it's a lonely place to also feel that so 
when I shared with my with, with the people on it was that look I even felt a bit bitter when I left but it was maybe looking at that bitterness to see and you know it wasn't very bad it was just a kind of a oh what if you know mm-hmm. what if this was different that day what if we didn't lose that All-Ireland but realising that oh, that's actually just part of sport and that's mm-hmm. why you were doing it and finding what were the things that maybe could potentially make you bitter addressing them and just moving on I think for a lot of people that was really it um, and I know like I spoke to some players who injury being the big one particularly mm. injury when it's not in your hands and you step away that is the it's killing just one a, like, I remember when I retired from rugby I, I knew my body was giving up on me I, yeah. I, I just knew it and you could feel it just turning on you a little bit and you know, I essentially felt like a taxi man with no car was probably the best way to describe it mm. and I retired from rugby and I remember Westmead at that time Paddy O'Shea had just come into Westmead as, as the coach and I actually won Leinster that year yeah. so Paddy said to me I was a Gaelic footballer at heart I wasn't really a rugby player he says, come back into the squad. And I was like, I was just, I never get this new lease of life that I'm being brought back into GAA in 24. I still have this in me. Mm. And first training session out, I, I remember tearing my hamstring. And this was what was happening to me. I kept tearing muscles. And I knew, I knew everything was over as a, an athlete at that point because it, it would just, because I knew emotionally I wasn't going to be able to keep dealing with this. And I never forget driving home that day from the thing knowing that's that's it and mm. what what what's left what what else can I be you know I'm 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 nothing else and and then of course Westmead won Leinster mm. and I was like like this idea of a medal and not having it but I remember coming to terms with that but do you talk about the bitterness do you know what the thing I had which yeah. was really strange yeah. I used to have a dream every single night of arriving to a pitch and just forgetting one thing either a pair of boots or a gum shield or something. And it, it, what it felt more for me was unfinished business, I think, mm. was the, the difficulty uh, of, I suppose. And I suppose to a point, that's a bit of bitterness as well, not in anyone else, mm. but in my own look, I yeah. suppose. And I think that's where, and I think inter-county football and hurling, and it's not disrespectful or condescending to anyone who doesn't do it, but it's very hard to describe how intense it is unless you've been in it or involved in it. And it's so part of the psyche, um, I suppose, down around here, we're very lucky. And even from a radio point of view, we're always very lucky to have access to to the guys. Paul, you mentioned there about the whole notion of the brick walls, you know, and and, and coming to the decision. Having knocked down so many of the brick walls and having, you know, sacrificed so much, was that involved in, in, I suppose, the resentment or the reticence to give up? Um, the gig no um, like I enjoyed every minute of when I played for Kenya I was very lucky and very privileged at the time I played because mm. we were successful so the only little elements and it, you know when I when I say bitterness in my case it's very very small drops of bitterness in that you look back at certain parts of your career parts that didn't work out and in mm. particular no when you had a bad game and when you, you didn't play well and because I think people build up sport to be a fairy tale in their mind and they think you know, it's always going to be a fairy tale. But one thing I remind myself and I remind other people is it's it's not a fairy tale by any means. And mm-hmm. it's it's a place where, for me, it, it it's the safest place in the world to learn these life lessons that you can apply to your real life. Like, I always say, like, if you play a bad game or you lose a match, nobody's dead. You know, mm-hmm. you, you drive away and you might be really disappointed and that's, you know, you're, you're sad and all those feelings. But at the end of the day there's far worse things in life that could happen but you learn these lessons and you bring them with you into your life and you you can apply those lessons those feelings of you know great excitement those feelings of nerves those feelings of disappointment and put them into your life and they actually give you great tools going forward and you have to look at the the great positives that sport brings but in terms of my own looking back um 
I would I would say look I wouldn't have done it if I didn't enjoy it and that was the bottom line I wasn't kind of a person that was there who just aimlessly and was brain dead and was just you know training because that's what you have to do and I wanted to do it because of success I wanted to do it because I enjoyed doing it but the moment I stopped enjoying it that was the moment where I kind of said okay now I think I heard you speaking about it earlier it was okay, where it's okay to like you said visit yourself where you're okay you say okay let's stop here you know because for so long I had to learn how to put stuff to the back of your mind you know when you were training so hard that you weren't thinking about it you weren't letting those voices creep in and you were turning those voices off but sometimes it was okay to sit down and go okay I'm not, I'm not enjoying this anymore what is it why aren't I enjoying it and taking that time so it was nearly learning that skill at the end to go why am I not enjoying it now when two years ago three years ago five years ago I enjoyed it and understanding yourself that okay it's just this is just a natural process I'm at the stage where my body might still be able to do it but my mind isn't willing to go there anymore. So, mm. and and what I would say with it is, it's completely different for everybody. You can't, yeah, yeah. I can't say that my experience is completely different to like Richie Hogan retired recently. You know, his his approach and his mindset is different again. And that's the important thing to know that what I'm saying here, and you said it, you know, I was listening to you before I came on, that, you know, you're not preaching as if you know everything about, you know, about mindset and about where your mind is at. But, you're just saying from your experience what you learned. And if it hel- if, if one person can take a nugget from what you're saying, well, brilliant. Mm. And that's what I look to do. I look, like when you're speaking, if I can take one thing from what you said today and bring it up with me, well, brilliant. And yeah. that's 1% that I can apply to my own life. And that's a, that's a great game. There's an interesting thing I, I think about GAA in, in, in particular, and I've worked with a couple of GAA players in this regard, that it wasn't their body that gave up on them. It wasn't even their mind that gave up on them. What gave up on them was they were sick of being firing lines for people mm. on not just social media on any regard where you you are cannon fodder mm. and you could be the Paul Murphy that wins in All-Ireland for Kilkenny or you could be the guy that loses one for them and mm. it is that essence when people do, do, do the adding up of of you know someone who's an amateur athlete being used and beaten this way. and I've, I have friends who've who've put up with the worst type of stuff I mean the worst darkest type of stuff on social media mm. as as athletes representing their county where they've sacrificed their entire lives to do it. And that's not them. It's not the martyr thing or anything. They love what they do and they're very privileged to do it. But that's actually one of the reasons now some of the athletes are going, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Yeah. I can't put my family in this firing line. I can't put myself in it anymore. And that's the, a sad element, I think, of of GAA. Do you, do you feel that level of intensity has a huge, especially to younger players who mightn't actually mm. know how to process that? It is. And it's something that when I was let's say when I started out with Kilkenny, that element wasn't there because Twitter particularly, but social media wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Um, and people have access to players. You know, if I want to send a message to Edward Hayden tomorrow morning on Twitter and tag you and everybody can see it, I can do that if I want. But people forget that, like, particularly GA players or let's say even League of Ireland players or whoever you want to refer to, they're not Premier League soccer players or NFL players where they go home to their mansion and Monday morning they can hide away from the world mm. or Tuesday morning. They have to go into work on Monday morning. And they like if you lose in All-Ireland on the Sunday, you're in work Wednesday morning surrounded by the people in the stand who might have been given out about you from another county or whatever. You're very much straight back to the coal face of those people. And on the face of it, people might think it's OK. And it is. Like Some people are, are well able to take a bit of a slagging and so on. It's part of our culture as being Irish. But... For other people, that can be quite hard because it's very personal when you play bad in in a big game that really meant so much to you. No player ever wants to play bad, but you then have to go the following day and you open up your social media, which, like, you know, last week you might have been 
putting pushing out some some positive kind of uh, you know ambassadorship you're doing but someone's using that now to target you and to mm-hmm. say you know you know you weren't good the weekend maybe maybe you should be focusing on this and so on that's very tough on players and mm-hmm. it's the one thing I always try and do you know when we're doing our own podcast is just kind of say well you can be constructively critical on players and any high end athlete will appreciate that but it's where it borders into the toxic and the bitter and 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 that's that's the tough part for players and that's the part that very much at the moment that you know has to be called out and if you see it you have to kind of call it out because there's just these anonymous people online who will target players and it's very unfair and it, it certainly is tough for younger players to I suppose navigate that for sure um, Paul stay with us we're going to take a break um, more with Paul Murphy and of course Niall Breslin just after this fun and shop this is the Saturday Show on KCLR with Edward Hayden and the one and only Brezzy. The one and only Brezzy indeed. Fall Cheer Ash, Edward Hayden here with you and Niall Breslin presenting this morning's version of the Saturday Show. We continue to be joined by Paul Murphy. Keep the text coming in to us 0833069696. Our dinner's ready. Data e contact line or you can telephone the lovely Ashlyn on 1800 90 96 96. Um, you did the county proud, Paul, from Philip Ireland Tires as well. So you can rest assured in that, uh, in that as well. I think also with the, with the with the Kilkenny side of things as well is like you know even the rest of the country kind of looks at Kilkenny and is like oh, here we go like when it comes to hurling like they're just going to it's like they're they've turned into the kind of just but I I always thought with Kilkenny my auntie and uncle from Kilkenny and um, so I've always had a slight interest in in just high level I yeah. have a lot of respect for any any sport that maintains sustainably high levels of achievement mm. whether it's Kilkenny or Dublin football or now Limerick curling what does it take to to maintain that level of standard is it coming from your coach is it coming from your kind of team or is it, is it something Kilkenny say, say as a team as a group that went these are our standards and this is what we adhere to because you don't win that many All-Irelands with talent alone Yeah it's it. there's a lot of things that Kilkenny um, luckily has right is still right within Kilkenny and is I think what a lot of other counties aspire to in hurling terms to get right um, the culture is the big thing in Kilkenny you know and, and Edward will testify to it if you go through Kilkenny at lunchtime of a weekday the you know the boys and girls who are going down to the shop to get their roll invariably have hurls in their hand you know mm-hmm. and it's not because it's necessarily forced upon them but it's just we have their tradition in Kilkenny of hurling so automatically you have that pool of you know if you play hurling in Kilkenny there's a big community there there's a big support structure and you're encouraged to you know go and be the best you can be um, so I know certainly from a younger age there's a bit of nurture and a bit of nature involved you know so. I growing up where I was from my three cousins that were older than me all played hurling and it was I always think that was a great thing that they were older than me because they'd hit the ball harder at me and never had sympathy yeah. for anybody else <laughs> so the other person that was playing with a with a with a like a friend their same age the ball wasn't coming as fast so I felt that naturally I was exposed <laughs> to the stimulus of a ball being hit really hard so when I was going playing with my own friends the ball was coming half as fast yeah. at me so it was brilliant but uh, I, my dad was obviously huge into the GA. He was he was former county board chairman, so it was always within our family. Also then, and you know, within my own club in Dane's Fort, I always had kind of local heroes that I could point to and go go up to the pitch any night I wanted to see and see these men who I thought like that's there's a hurdle being broke off. You know, my neighbour here and he's getting up and he's carrying on. I thought this was incredible that you could just go up to your pitch and see that. So I was always aspiring to that kind of level of you know, to, to be that kind of player. But I think a big thing about, like, essentially you're talking about getting into the 1% of players because that is what, going from club player to inter-county, the, the, the statistic is 1%. So you can ask yourself, what 
do the one percent do, or you could ask yourself, what don't the ninety nine percent do? And that is the big question. So like, if ninety nine percent of your friends, and this is the reality behind it, if you want to become, let's say, a Kilkenny player or a Dublin footballer or whoever. If 99% of your friends don't go down to the pitch outside of training or don't poke the ball off a wall, well, you know, maybe that's what I should be doing to differentiate myself from them. And it's that work you're doing away from the pitch. It's brilliant to go down and do your three days work on the pitch. But if you want to really kind of step up, you just have to accept that. Well, I have to be doing something away from the pitch. So if I have, if I don't have, if I have a weak side, I'll have to work on that at a really young mm. age. But as you get older, if it's a case that, okay, from, from an endurance point of view, from a running point of view, a lot of the guys are a lot better than me. I really have to work on that or I have to work on my diet. And that's where it really gets into the fine tuning. And I felt for me, it's um, the one trait I would see with a lot of players is that individually they're very driven. Like, and, and they've acknowledged that from a young age that this is something they want to do. None of them are there accidentally. None of them are there by just grace of God that they fall into it. And people talk about, oh, they're just naturally talented. There's an enormous amount of work goes into that. Mm. And I think for younger players, my, like my dad would have only ever said to me, when I asked when Kilkenny started going really good around 2003 and four, I would have asked him, you know, how do these players get onto the Kilkenny team? And he didn't give me a complicated answer. He just said, it's hard work. It's just hard work. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. So once I had that, I was like, okay, well, if I work hard, this thing that might seem just aspirational at the moment can be realistic. And that's, I think that's really good, I suppose. I think that is, but I think it's important that that I as that I believe, and I, you're probably going to agree with me here, but like when you look at this work that people do to get onto intercounty teams or international rugby teams or whatever it ends up being, is the idea that you still need to promote to young people that rest and recovery is a mm. crucial part of this because it cannot be all and anything you are because yeah. it then becomes too intense and it almost becomes obsessive. Mm. You, you you get it can and it can get difficult yeah. in terms of so in terms of 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 elite or le- top level sport. I think we don't see enough. Athletes saying, and to everybody, I'm not. I'm not just talking to athletes. I don't think rest is something that we promote enough in general in the world. Mm. The sitting, I mean, little sitting on your arse doing nothing, not mm. feeling guilty about it. That how crucial that is to an athlete, and how crucial it is to Edward Hayden and to Niall Reslin that we learn to rest mm. and not be obsessed about your game or yeah. your her or your weak side. Was that important to you? Yeah, and uh, I think it was finding the balance was the big thing. Um, I think when you find balance in any part of your life where you can be you can be really dedicated to what you're doing, but making time for yourself to go, okay, well, what else am I interested in that this isn't just my be-all and end-all? Because it maybe it just touches back to, it nearly defines it then. And then when you step away from it, that's all you ever had. Mm. So you don't have that balance outside it. It is important, and even particularly now, again, if I go back to when I was 18, it's very different to now to an 18-year-old player going playing inter-county because there's so many more competitions for players now. And the big thing I see with younger players is... You know, they're playing for the club, they're playing for their school and they're playing on a development squad and making sure that all those three aspects are, are talking to each other because a player essentially, and particularly a younger player, will just do what's put in front of them. And I suppose from a parenting point of view, looking at your, your, your child, you know, your boy or girl and see, okay, do I need to kind of maybe show them how you rest and recover and make a bit of time for yourself? Because lots of players now, younger players particularly, pick up injuries and it's just... Um, it's just strains from doing too much mm. and particularly not just from a physical but from a mental point of view mm. you know not only do you have your sport but you also have your leaving cert you have you know all these things that can, and so there's a lot for young people to deal with there and I absolutely agree that 
having that bit of headspace and that bit of time is really important Absolutely well listen um, Paul I can rest assured that you are now uh, providing the inspiration that was provided to you so many times Um, I've a a young nephew at home and he's out poking the ball at the wall uh, constantly as well thank you for joining us today as always it's it's so lovely to to have you in on the show Um, we're going to go uh, to an ad break a little bit late Uh, Tobron Orm uh, and Thresh on Thosbjog Tonnok Chak the Saturday Show with Edward Hayden. KCLR. With thanks to Lyrath Estate, Kilkenny's luxury hotel. Perfect for spoiling yourself. More details on lyrath.com. Now, good morning. You're very welcome back. Uh, you're very welcome to the Saturday Show. Uh, presented this morning with myself, Edward Hayden, and Niall Breslin as co host. Delighted to have him uh, with us this morning. And of course, down to. Uh, promote the Where Is My Mind podcast that's taking place in Langton's Seth Theatre on November the 1st and uh, as I said to you earlier on I've been invited to be the guest on the night so we'll be uh, exploring all of the minutiae of um, that on the night. A couple of texts in here Hi Edward, what did you think of The Late Late last night? I felt it was a comedy show cracking jokes, The Late Late is a chat show and it lacked that. Maybe next week will be better. You'd be the right man for the job uh, that's from Mary and Thanks, Mary, for that. There was a few uh, low blows last night, shall we say, but I'm sure they had to be got out of the way and I'm sure they were all well sanctioned uh, in advance. We were chatting earlier on to Faith Ammond. A texture says, as a transgender person, I love clothes and charity shops. Everything I wear is from a charity shop and so much clothes go to waste as well. So well done to our texture for that. We also had uh, another one in here as well, uh, which says, uh, great to hear Brezzy talking about mental health, straight talking about this area and... Uh, um, the area of healthcare. We need to break the stigma. Uh, Edward, uh, say a big thank you to him for all of his work and that's from Anne on High Street in Kilkenny and of course Anne is a great uh, friend of the show. Now, I'm delighted to be joined in studio by our resident psychotherapist Mags Bowen. Brezzy, I've been telling you all week and all morning about Mags Bowen. Ashling and I are joint chairpersons of the <laughs> Mags fan club as are our Not listeners. <laughs> You're going to let me into it now as well. I've applied. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. We, it, it, it's a role that I'm needs waiting three. For, yeah. your, for my feedback. A three-pronged attack. Um, Mags, good morning to you. Good morning, Edward, and good morning, Brezzy. Good morning, Mags. to see you both. Thank thanks you. so much, and thanks for coming in. Uh, we were talking about what we were going to chat about with you, and I know uh, so many people love when you come on and, and just explore the different topics. Um relationships this morning but more especially the importance of being in a good relationship with yourself what does that mean in English? (laughs) Absolutely I think the relationship with ourselves is something that we don't look at enough and I was really struck by listening to Paul just as he was coming to the end of his um, interview and he was saying it's the work we do away from the pitch that counts and you know if you think of that from an emotional perspective or therapeutic perspective if we really get to know ourselves we're self-aware, we have that self-care in place, we accept ourselves hmm. usually to a, you know, a, a healthy extent. When the match starts or the challenge comes our way in terms of an emotional dilemma, if we have the work done, we're able to negotiate it a little bit easier. Hmm. So I really think that for young people, particularly if they do have that healthy relationship or that good connection with themselves, they really are aware of the um, the skills and the resources they have within to manage challenges. Hmm. I think the the quote that always stood to me about this relationship with yourself is the John O'Donoghue quote, who obviously wrote Anam Cara, and he said, there's a place within the soul that's never been wounded. Yes. And this idea that 
no matter how intense or difficult things get, there's a consistency within us. And I think for me, we all have that voice, but the problem is the world is so noisy and we don't kind of detach from things and and have an old listen every now and again. And now we have watches to tell us how fit we are and how much sleep we're getting rather than actually listening to ourselves a little bit. And I think that's how I built my own relationship with myself is that it's important to highlight. It's not always good and it's okay that it's a bit uncomfortable Mm. and a bit kind of like, what were you thinking? And where you kind of hold yourself to account rather than beat yourself up. I think there's a fine line, isn't there? There is. And there can be a lovely curiosity and a learning within that space that we really listen to ourselves. And we listen to ourselves when we feel we've made a mess of something and Mm. common themes emerge. I'm always the same. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. But if you recognise that, you know, there are old wounds, old scars that reemerge consistently when we're in bother. Mm. And we listen to the impact of those in that I'm not able to cope. But if we really go back and say, hang on, how might I be a little bit more compassionate to myself? Or what does come up in terms of the old wounds or the old themes? Once we have a reasonably good relationship with ourselves and we visit with ourselves, and Edward, we regularly talk Uh about that. If we visit with ourselves and sit with the uncomfortable, we do learn to understand how we attach or respond to difficulties in life. And that's Mm. a gift. It is. I think it's, to me, that's why... And I think it's important to highlight here that I think sometimes meditation and mindfulness is oversold as a thing that we do. But what mindfulness taught me more than anything was actually to sit with that little uncomfortable mm. feeling. And be, and where before, if I was really anxious, I would avoid it. I would just do anything except deal with the anxiety of why it was there. I would run, I would train, I would eat, I would do anything. Yeah. But when I started to learn, and what I would do, and I say this to young people that I work with, especially kids through mindfulness, is that they go, I'm anxious. And I go... Rather than say, don't be anxious, I say to them, well, where do you feel it in your body? And that simple question, they go, well, what do you mean? Mm. It's in my head. I was like, no, actually, it's in your body. And then they locate it, and it's my belly or my chest or my jaw. And then I say, put your hand there on your belly for a second. And then they put their hand on their belly. And I'll breathe into that now and just see. And now you're softening the anxiety. You're not pushing it away. You're not saying don't feel it. And then what I say to young people who go, why do I feel anxious? I said, there's a lad called Bob in my head. He's my security guy. Like, you know the lad who's always at the door of security? And he's, he's only trying to keep me safe. That's yes. all he's doing. And sometimes Bob needs to take a lunch break <laughs> or take a day off. Yeah. And that's when I start to learn how to meditate. And it, it's, it, to me, ultimately, if you want to build that relationship with yourself, you have to accept that we're, we are flawed. Human beings are flawed. Every one of us. Absolutely. And it's to sit with that because I love that you're sitting with the uncertainty, you're sitting with your anxiety. But by doing that you're recognising those anxious moments are part of me. They're not Mm. all of me. Mm. I'd often say to young people again, you know, I have anxiety. And how do you know? Well, I'm experiencing the same as my friend. Mm. And so we all experience it differently. So if it was a cake, give me the ingredients. Mm. And then you have a teaspoon of fear or a half teaspoon of shyness or um, a little bit of judgment. And it's incredible because suddenly it's, oh, actually, I can hold this. I can hold this differently now. It's not all of me. And what are the tools? And again, this is a very basic question, which I'm sure a very convoluted answer and complicated and complex. What are the tools that we can keep all of those things? You know, again, another word that we use quite a lot here is that accommodation. Mm -hmm. How can we accommodate those and still operate in a kind of uh, a functioning, Mm -hmm. relatively happy, safe space? Mm -hmm. 
I think one of the functions I use, I feel like that's really powerful, is something called the physiological sigh, and it's a breathing. A lot of people like function, so when they feel anxious, there's nobody listening to this radio show right now that doesn't experience anxiety. Mm. It is crucially cr- a core component of us being alive. Yes. And sometimes, sometimes, for me, for example, my anxiety is quite irrational, and I think it makes the impossible possible sometimes in your head. But what I do is this thing called the physiological sigh, and I teach it to everybody, and it's, it, it's two inhales through the nose, and the reason this works is because anxiety is your central nervous system. So this basically turns, puts Bob in a lunch break, yeah, if you like. Yeah. Two inhales through the nose. It has to be through the nose because that's what engages your vagus nerve, which is your, your kind of communication to your central nervous system to say, listen, lad, we're grand. Relax there for a sec. Two inhales through the nose and a long, prolonged exhale through the mouth three times. So you see it when people are crying. <laughs> they're comforting themselves when they're crying and if you do that breath uh, it's developed by Dr. Andrew Huberman at Stanford University and it's a really effective way of calming yourself down yeah. and that anxiety becomes too much for you which it happens once again Oh, we, and all we all us. experience it yeah. there's, there's no point in pretending we don't and I would have um, a vision in my head for my own personal um, management of anxiety is let the ball bounce mm. so if I see something coming at me I recognise yeah I probably caught it I probably caught it and now I'm carrying it and I'm going to catch the next three items that are fired at me if I'm not careful. So I just take a break, a space, breathe, mm. let the ball bounce. Um, and what's this trying to communicate with me? Yeah. What's this trying to tell me? You know, it's usually through fear and judgment we're viewing the situation. I'm fearful that I won't manage. I'm judging that I won't manage. So then the anxiety mm. is building. Mm. So if you have that circuit breaker, like the breathing or like just letting the ball bounce or what are you trying to tell me here? Is this true yeah. or not? And naturally you find yourself, ooh, I'm taking a breath. And wisdom of years ago, you know, take a space, take a step back, count to mm. ten. Which probably That's drove it. us bananas as teenagers, but there was, <laughs> there was a value to it. You really did. And I, I, the, the other thing that I think is really important, Edward, is with these types of things. I have a friend, I tell the story, who's, his da- his, he is, has a beautiful daughter, but she's really severe social anxiety. She's really intelligent, struggle, struggled to leave the house for a period of time. And he was getting really frustrated with her because he was like, well, she's got this lovely house and, you know, we look after her and she's got the great good life. The good life. Yeah. And so I said to him, there's one thing I knew about him. He wouldn't get in an airplane. He's never been in an airplane. If the world was ending, he won't get in an airplane. And I said, right, you have to get in an airplane tomorrow morning. And he, he goes, well, I would, I, I, I'd, I'd run a mile. I, you wouldn't even get me out the door. Not a chance. And I said, well, that's what it's like for your daughter to leave the house. Yeah. So now all of a sudden he understands the feeling, not the reason for the feeling. And I think if you... It make that creates the empathy with others. You go, why is she so anxious? It's not your it's not your decision to decide to decide why somebody should be anxious. But now everybody can connect to the feeling because there's something we all get really anxious with. Yeah. You, me, everybody, and imagine living with that all the time to do the most basic yeah. thing like leave the house, and 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 then you have this empathy and love for that person. And we really, when we recognise that we have huge empathy for somebody, we either have experienced something similar, or we have invited ourselves to step into the shoes of that person mm. as if it was us, and we're getting into that uncomfortable space. Yeah. Well, what would it be like for me to get onto the plane? Yeah. You know, so it really yeah. is all around knowing your own, isn't it? Anxiety. It really is. And stepping into those shoes. There's a text in here. Uh, it's very simple. Um, it says life is a very simple process. It's the human experience that makes it difficult. Mm. My question to you both, uh, and Mags, I'll start with yourself. Do we, do we project, do other people project the problems on us or are the problems internalised? Mm. Do they come from others? Do they come from our phones? Do they come from that we blame our phones now and mm. the world for everything? But 
I think the world is very, very busy. We are always, if we want, and very often we have to be through our work and everything else, we are available or switched on. Um, Certainly we can have challenges coming at us from, you know, family and relationships and friends and all of that. But we have to do our own little piece of work. Mm. And it's to look and to say, how do I attach to the difficulties? And I recognize, you know, in my work all the time that we have particular attachment styles, particular relationship styles. And if we are inclined to um, attach to our stresses and our woes and our difficulties very, very securely and to the point that we view them only through fear and we judge ourselves and we don't accept ourselves or we don't have self-care in place or we're not compassionate, life becomes Mm. hard. Yeah, I, I, I have a, a kind of a, 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 a same view, but slightly add to it that I, it's just Krishnamurti, as this quote says, it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Or I think we constantly tell individuals they have to be more resilient or you've got to be stronger. And, and I'm trying to say to people, you don't need to be. You know, you've got through a pandemic and in the words of Elton John, as I said, you're still standing. So that's back to the idea. And what I mean by that is you look in Dublin, for example, like... I use this example, a guy called Terence who has a zero hour contract, you know, and he doesn't know he's going to get a job from the next day to the next. He's paying 60 percent of the money he thinks he's going to get on rent and he's eating ready meals from Tesco because he can't, you know, he can't afford anything else. And he's constantly living with this insecurity all the time. And then we tell him just to drink more water and have a flaxseed smoothie. It's got nothing to do with why he's anxious. He's got no security. He's got no trust in a system to keep him hopeful. And I think sometimes we put too much emphasis, emphasis on the individual. And rather than say the way, you know, society is structured and governed is not actually very good for us sometimes. And it's called the privatization of stress. So stress, if you're stressed, it's your fault. Edward, you're just not good at dealing with stress. So mm-hmm. I tell you what you're going to do. We're going to put you on a resilience program and then everything will be grand. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. We need to create a more empathetic society where people have their basic needs met. And I think that is really important. I think Ireland has to push towards that if we want to push the dial on mental health and that's the paradigm shift we have to see things like inequality and equity and stuff like that in society and then you'll start seeing you know otherwise we're just putting plasters and bullet Mm. wounds and I suppose very much promote that we have a right to be able to assess and ask for what we need exactly exactly and that's that's the needs you know and Mm. the, the needs of things like a home those you are know. Maslow's needs, aren't exactly. they? They're the kind of the basic Absolute physiological basic, yeah. needs. We still yeah. go back to that, though. Isn't yeah. it funny, yeah. like Maslow, yeah. that thing we learned in business studies in yeah. third year? Yeah. We still go back to the idea if you can actually honour people's needs to make them feel safe, connected and needed, they'll build on that. And then you take the personal responsibility for yourself yeah. and you, you go, there's things I have to bring to the table. But I think we have to be careful now with how we tell people they need to be in the world. I think we have to bring a bit of uh, a, a looking glass mm. at how the world is to us sometimes. And ultimately that structure and that safety is the connectedness that we feel, the connectedness exactly. we feel with ourselves and how that has been facilitated in our family of origin or in our school and college experience, our mm-hmm. work experience, our apprenticeship experience. So it's really always goes back, doesn't it, to how do I connect with myself? But that is a team. That's not just a sole um, responsibility of the individual. No. That is a societal... That's a community. Yes. And everything is community. And is that the fact that we were all... Um, seeking out acceptance we all want to be accepted we all fear I think I don't think I'm bold in saying that we all fear judgment to some extent we all want to be accepted you know I would be very wrong to say that I didn't come across the ring road this morning thinking oh 
Is he going to know much more than me? What am I going to sound like? We all we all want to be accepted. We all fear judgment. And I suppose if we can put that out there as being part and parcel of the human condition, um, we're showing ourselves an empathy and then it's so much easier to show others empathy. And I think on that as well, this acceptance that we all seek and this perception of others, unfortunately now is on steroids because of social media. So we see it more. So as I said, that that's always existed in humanity since we've evolved, you know, throughout the decades and generations but now we have a we have unfortunately a metric to, on which to judge ourselves all the time and as Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of joy and how many of us listening to this sit on social media each day comparing our lives to you know the highlight reels of other people's Instagram pages and I think that mm. becomes over time it gets in on you so I think that's the key as Mag said to, to build that relationship with yourself is to go back to that place and understand like it's it's that also the quote I feel like I'm throwing out quotes left right and centre here but I think they do tell a picture Leonard Cohen's quote is that there's a crack in everything that's how the light gets in and that's how you start to realise everyone has a crack we're all a little bit I am you are well I'm guessing you are (laughs) you know and mags absolutely yeah uh, what are the building blocks then, Mags, just as we conclude our conversation? You know, we're talking about being in a good relationship with yourself. What are the kind of the um, the kind of the, the composite tools um, for our listeners this morning? I think the building blocks are really what come quite naturally to us when we're in relationship with others. And I'm always struck by working with young people. And I'd say to them, you know, you treat yourself like you would do a good friend. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, I'm asked, but how do I do that? And to me, that's really, really sad that what comes from within naturally and you recognise what other people deserve, you cannot turn that around and um, put that in place for yourself. So it's really, really simple. Where do I feel most relaxed? Where do I Mm. feel comforted? How do I take time out? How do I say no? The world doesn't stop spinning if we say no. How do I look after myself mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually? Where do I get my awesome moments? And it's just to sit and visit with yourself and to log, actually. You know, where did I really find a lovely moment? Personally, I love trawling the charity shops. Mm. I love going to a bookshop. That Mm. to me is just gold. And we all have and we owe it to ourselves really to find what are our building blocks, because it can't be prescribed for you. Mm. But it can be such a lovely, curious journey to find out. That's a kind of akin mm. to what you were talking about with Paul about that whole notion of the importance of rest. And mm. of course, rest can be interpreted in so many different ways. But just to take that time to explore what's important to you. I can't keep up with this world. I just can't. It's it's overwhelms me so much. And what happens to me when I get overwhelmed by the world, I move into this thing called the apathy trap. And the apathy trap is like, I just don't want to do anything. I don't want to, what's, you know, I, I lose that uh, motivation to do anything. And sometimes it's called languishing. And when that happens to me, I take baby steps. I don't try to save the world. I get offline. But I think more than anything, what I say to people is, when you look at the kind of core of what mindfulness is born upon, it's born upon Buddhism and Buddhist psychology. That's not a religion. It's an ideology. And the first noble truth of Buddhism is that suffering is part of life. It is part of our journey and it's not our only part. And as soon as you learn to accept life isn't a straight line, you actually start to realize when those difficult days, a prime example, as I know you guys talk about a lot, is grief. It's the most mm. torturous pain in the world mm. and it visits every single person on earth. And I think the most common phrase you hear at an Irish funeral is I'm grand, I'm grand. I'm like, you're not. You're in absolute gargantuan levels of yeah. pain and it's okay and I'm comfortable with your pain. So chat about it with me. And it's that, the key, people ask me, well, how, how can I help? Stop forcing people to repress this stuff. Allow them to talk about it. Give them a space. Listen to them. 
bring non-judgment to the table because you're going to go through it someday too. And I think that is how you build communities and connection. You're nodding in agreement, Max. Oh, totally. And, you know, to live, I often say to people, if we were out in the hospital and we looked at a heart monitor, a healthy sign is up, down, up, down. The flat line is not so good. Mm. And we expect to go through life yeah, sometimes yeah. in that linear way. And it's not life. There's there's great highs and there's tremendous lows. And if we ride the waves and accept ourselves and understand that by sitting into our hardships and troubles, we do learn a lot about ourselves and we need to learn how to ask for help. And I suppose our needs identified as well through community. And I think finish. I, I'm just sort of she said that I think it's really <coughs> important when people listen to this. The one thing I learned in my life and at my work is the importance of playfulness, mischievousness, boldness, the ability to do things for no reason. It's really important. It's called vitamin P, vitamin playfulness. And I think we've started to take the world very seriously all the time. So make sure you're having a bit of crack in the midst of all of this stuff because it can be hard keeping up with it. A texture. Sorry, I'm, I'm reading this live, but I, I think it's worthy of, of concluding our conversations. Um, it's, it's from our earlier texture. It's from our, our gen, transgender uh, texture who says humans find it easy to say no, but find it hard to accept it and do it. I myself don't care anymore because I'm going with the flow of life. I accept my mental health issues and I'm OK with it. I go and do what I want and take uh, off on uh, days out. Um, I say no and I stick to it. Mm-hmm. Well done. That's someone who's mm-hmm. listening to themselves. Yeah, well and listening. done. Listen, Mags, thank you so much, as always, for uh, coming in. We could talk for 16 hours as opposed <laughs> to uh, minutes about it, but uh, thank you, as always. Oh, thank you both for very coming much. in. Cheers. Uh, we're going to take uh, an ad break here, and we'll be back after this with um, Councillor Mary Hildegavna. Stay with us. This Saturday show on KCLR with Edward Hayden. KCLR. This Saturday show with Edward Hayden. KCLR. With thanks to Lyrath Estate, Kilkenny's luxury hotel. Perfect for spoiling yourself. More details on Lyrath.com. Now, you're very welcome back. Niall, I told you we'd get uh, a giant of politics in uh, this morning to join us on the show. And um, I think there's nobody that would disagree that we have certainly one of the giants of politics uh, with us in studio. Mary Hilda Kavanagh, good morning. Good morning, Edward. How are you getting on? I'm grand. It's not rainy outside. I'm a farmer. Oh, yeah. So yesterday wasn't a good day for anybody. It wasn't a good day for anybody going to work, coming from work, whatever. But it was the persistent rain. But anyway, it's gone today. It's fine outside now. So I was playing golf. I went out. Yesterday. I went out. Yeah, it was one of those things where where, where it was a charity day. And he goes, I can't. I can't not play now because, you know, they had the big day and I felt sorry for them. And I went out and I said, I cannot remember a wetter, grimmer, I couldn't even find my ball half the time. I didn't even look for you it. You were wet at the jocks I was coming like, home. I was absolutely yeah. peeling the clothes off me when I came in. But yeah, no, it was it was a grim old week. It was, yeah, yeah. Mary Hilda, what's happening up the north of the county? They're after severing uh, your your area. Uh, when they, Everyone was expecting the die to be cast down in South Kilkenny and was expecting Ferrybank to kind of uh, erode the bridge of Waterford. But we didn't see this coming. We didn't see it coming. So much so that when somebody rang me from this um, KCLR, I actually thought it was a joke. If it had been near to the 1st of April, I'd have thought it was a, a, an April Fool's joke. Um, it was such a shock. And I say this with no reflection on the county of Tipperary or the people of North Tipperary. But we're not happy to be asked to vote in North Tipperary. People are absolutely devastated. They feel that they were treated with utter contempt by the Boundary Commission. Uh, 
they were totally misunderstood. They don't realise, as people said to me, there's a hard border between Tipperary and Kilkenny, the part of Kilkenny that I live in. And you won't meet nicer people than my people. I call them my people because I've canvassed for, dare I say, 49 years on my own, generally. I've been welcomed into their homes. Now, they wouldn't all be voting for me, and that's fine. That's what democracy is all about. But I've been welcomed into their homes. I've been fed and watered and treated with nothing but courtesy, lovely, friendly people, as I say. And to find then that they're told to vote in North Tipperary, as I said, no reflection on Tipperary, but if they had to say there's a new constituency being set up, North West Kilkenny, North Tipperary, or North Tipperary, North West Kilkenny, people would eventually get ownership. They'd feel part and parcel, but they'd feel they've been disenfranchised. And they tell me they're not going to vote. And more of them have told me that they're going to go in and spoil the votes. They're going to put up Kilkenny on the ballot paper. Now, we're not actually physically going anywhere. The county council stays the same and I'll be a candidate next time round. And that's my plug for the, the day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shameless. And, and shameless. And things will go on at county level. But the fact is, either in the fall of next year or the following year, there will be a general election and we'll have North Tipperary candidates and no mention but I intend to, to send in a motion uh, after next Monday's meeting, you have it on the agenda, that we ask for a change of name. We can't interfere with what the Boundary Commission have done. They're an independent commission. But they showed such a lack of understanding of people's feelings. Uh, it's just atrocious. And as I said, people are furious. They feel their identity is being taken from them at, mm-hmm. at national level. They are furious and I, cross. What I, what I am struggling, I know it's an independent kind of commission that looked at this. I am still struggling with the rationale behind it. Because they have, I've, I've listened to the explanations, I've read them, and even in the essence of reading them a number of times, I'm still kind of going, I still don't fully understand why this had to change. I, I have no idea. Like, Freshford, eight miles from Kilkenny City, will be voting in North Tipperary. Tullerone, Liz Downey, like, and after that, Gal Mike Patrick Johnson, Olinford Green, and got the ball. It's my. It's it's where I get ninety percent of my votes at local level, and I'm identified as a member of Kilkenny County Council. If you met somebody and said, "Do you know Mary Hilda Kavanagh?" They say, "Yeah, she's councillor in North Kilkenny." You know, it's my area, and I feel so hurt for people. They said at the time that they were kind of really, um, you know, uh, caught by the kind of the conforms in the in the constitution. Surely it would have been cleaner to have gone back and changed the constitution or changed the commission to allow for six uh, six seats and Kilkenny exactly to be. A six seater, or we were expecting uh, Kilkenny three and, and Carlo three, three yeah, and I'm yeah, sure there was yeah. uh, a number of candidates in Carlo that were hoping for that. Exactly, but like it doesn't make any sense because no matter who you are, how popular you are, how famous you are, how hardworking you are, if you stand in this new constituency, um, well, it's not you see, it's old, not a very constituency. You couldn't get elected if you're a Kilkenny person because even if, if every man and woman voted for you. Um, of 6,400 votes, generally 60% will vote, so that leaves something over 3,500. And if you've got 2,000 or 2,500, where would you go for the next lot of votes? Mm-hmm. To expect somebody in Tipperary to vote for a Kilkenny person over the border, you know, would be stretching it. Um, you know? We know in our own constituency that John Paul Phelan is not putting his name forward right. uh, on the next occasion. Um, we have four sitting TDs. It's my understanding that Jennifer Murnane, Malcolm Noonan, um, John McGuinness and Kathleen Function will all run again. Will there be a casualty? Who would have who would have got the tranche of votes? Would you have got them for John Paul in the past? Or who would have got the tranche of votes up in that north uh, pocket? I don't know. Like um, John McGuinness? Would get a share of them. 
um, they go everywhere and anywhere. My my votes don't stay with my party because I get a cross-party vote and I'm very thankful to the people who might vote John McGuinness in a general election and vote for me in the local. That's fine by me. Or not who they're voting for, mm. what party they're voting for. I really don't know. I, I, I think that the number of people who voted the last one will not vote the next time. And that's very regrettable because I think democracy was hard won. People laid down their lives for democracy. And I think it's hugely important that people vote because you must have a preference for somebody. But I think that there will be, that's, that'll be the protest vote, which is very sad, really. But, um, I, I, you know, no matter how much I've been trying to persuade people. And when I'm canvassing next year for myself, I'll be saying to people, now, have a rethink about next year when the general election comes because it is important to exercise your your franchise but at the same time I can understand where people are coming from they just can't get their heads around it because of the shock of it if it had to happen in South Kilkenny it was expected and I think they would have been infuriated as well but nevertheless it was kind of half expected and we have a good bit of um, intermarriage between Chipperry and Kilkenny but still you have your county identity. Unhappy and, bedfellows. <laughs> uh, but you know yourself now with the hurling. Mm. For donkey's years, there was this banter going on, especially in Arlingford. And, you know, we really enjoyed the lead up to the All-Ireland. This year, like, the All-Ireland was over before we knew it and we discovered we hadn't won it again. But anyway, mm. it was totally different. But the All-Ireland was cheaper in Kilkenny. Like, we had huge fun. Like, it was banter and fun. It, it wasn't bitterness or hatred or anything like that, like... You're, t- you're touching on the idea of politics and the intensity of politics and the you know what goes in and it, it becomes you know I've worked with politicians in my work many times and you know where I don't agree on some of their policies and how they look and do things I can sit respectfully and debate with them and, yeah. and, and uncover stuff and I think one of the things I've noticed about Ireland in general like you look at the UK or you look at America they've lost the ability to actually sit down or meet their politicians they can't do it anymore because it's become so um so dangerous really to be perfectly honest you talk about democracy for me the most important part of democracy is access to the politicians to be able to have these even if you disagree with them and I think that's something that we have to be very valued we have to hold on to in Ireland Uh, you know you look at constituency kind of offices the ability to turn up that to me is something that I value massively that my local politicians in Mullingar where I'm from I can call them yeah, I, I agree with you 100% and we can do the same and people like my phone is on 24-7 I don't like people ringing me late at night and people that tend to do that I sometimes like leave the phone in the kitchen go to bed mm. but um, I, I think it's hugely important that people would know some politician or other that they'd know where to find them when they want them and sometimes the local councillor is the one person that's findable after five o'clock on a Friday evening mm. because sometimes people only want to talk and today we're talking a lot about mental health but sometimes at the end of a long call I'd say to people what did you ring me for what, what do you want me to do mm-hmm. and they say well I actually don't want you to do anything for me I just wanted to talk to you mm. and, or maybe point me in the right direction or whatever but I think it's hugely important as you say because we're governed by rules and regulations and taxes and people have to know why this is going on and if they have a problem, whether it's a mental problem or a physical problem or any financial problem, and they want to talk to a politician, it's hugely important they know their number and be able to do it and preferably know the face as well. That's mm. how I think I'm a fierce fan of local government, where uh, you call to people's houses. You couldn't run around the whole of North Kilkenny canvassing because you'd never get to know anybody. I tend to confine myself to my area 
as I call it, my area, my people. But they know me and I know them. It and when somebody rings down up, yet, Mary Hilton. No. <laughs> and if somebody rings up and says, this is Edward Hayden from um, St. Finan's Parish in Gortnahoo, uh, I wouldn't know them because I'd never been to Gortnahoo, but I get to know them after a while and we find common ground with some of the people in Arlingford. But I think it's important that you'd be able to put a face on the person and put them in context. Uh, if they have a planning problem, you need to know the road, you know, to, to know what the council are saying to them and why. You know, it's, it's, it's democracy at its best. And as you say, you know the TDs as well. If you might know them personally, but you'd have seen them and you'd have seen, heard them on radio, you'd have seen them on television and you know who you're talking to. And that is very, very important. Mm-hmm. I agree with you 100%, mm-hmm. Percy. Has the party decided yet who will be replacing uh, John Paul on the ticket? No. And if how, are you, how, and it how are you fixed? <laughs> and it won't concern me because I'll have no voted convention. You see, we're gone. We're gone into our tip. Okay. From the day the general election. I want to vote for the next convention, which is shocking. So, so you'll I'll be my voting vote. for a Tipperary candidate? I, I would. If, the, if there is it, I, I asked somebody the other day who Fine Gael were running in the next, and they haven't a candidate yet. There is no Fine Gael TD in our tip. And we're not sure who the candidates are in... Kilkenny, Carla. We do know that uh, Dave Fitzgerald has indicated that he's he's going to be a candidate, and I believe then that there are another uh, number of people um, who are interested in also standing. Well, there was plenty of rumblings down at the Ivork show of there was more names now bandied around than is in the doll. Um, than there are seats, that's for then sure. There are seats well, for I've sure. I've heard of four people who are interested, so I don't know, but they're all south based and um, um, with gender balance. Who knows what's going to happen? Because. Mm the people of Kilkenny might be told mm. to select one candidate mm. and headquarters will decide who to put in the ticket but then the people will decide who they'll elect. And Carlo is interesting as well now because they were kind of thinking they might get cut off and they'd have their own three TDs. Exactly. We have one exactly. sitting TD from Carlo, um, yeah. Deputy Murnane O'Connor. Yeah. Will she um, struggle above in Carlo? Oh, she, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, she's a good reputation for hard work and that's what you want from a TD. Like we tend not to elect parliamentarians in Ireland. Mm. We elect uh, TDs that we have access to and that do the work on the ground. In my opinion, that's a councillor's job. But it's nice that they do it as well, isn't it? I think it's interesting as well. The next election cycle, you're going to see it's back to that quote, it's the economy stupid. That's all you're going to hear. And some of the things that I I, I think are going to be important to address in the next election is, is... is genuinely the social issues that we're facing for the wealth being one of the wealthiest countries in Europe. I think can be condescending. Uh, you, you sometimes hear at political level, you hear these economic metrics consistently, and in the face of the difficulty of homelessness, and, and even you look at the CAMS report on mental health, I think we're going to have to have very honest conversations in the next election on this because these issues are, you know, you can have the top GDP in Europe, it means nothing if we've 3,000 homeless children. For sure. We need to really think about this stuff. I think it's going to be an interesting election. For sure. Well, listen, there we must leave it. We're going to take an ad break and after that we're going to be heading over to... um uh, we're going to be heading up towards Ballyline and we're going to be hitting up for uh, Anime McHugh Country. Uh, a lot of the bits and pieces will Ed, be sorted Edward, next be- week. Of course, yeah. Before you go, can I wish a former councillor, Tom Maher, a happy birthday. It's a significant birthday today. Um, you can guess what it is if it finishes in a no. And also, I, can I congratulate Katie Bergen from my own parish, who's now the national s- senior track and field 200 metre champion. And oh it's great for Galmoy. We're a small little parish, half it in Leash, half it in Kilkenny. 
and we'd Billy Drennan all the spring and he's to be congratulated at his age and he's a great future in hurling and Katie now is an athlete which is fantastic well she's been an athlete all along but mm. she's now hit the, the, the national uh, headlines which is fantastic absolutely and there's an awful lot going on in, in North Kilkenny Tip will be delighted to get us and I said no nicer people they won't get <laughs> but that's neither here nor there that's a fight for another day and we might be handed back they, might get, they mightn't like us the next time if their population goes up they won't want us yes. and we'll be handed back to Carla Kilkenny or Kilkenny Carla whichever Did you go to the thinking? No, no. Th- think is, Thinking is on today I think mm. No I, I tend not to go um you I have all your thinking done. No, I, I, I stay at home minding my own backyard. <laughs> lovely. That's the thing to do. Mary Hilda, lovely as always to chat with you. And thanks right. so much Thank for coming much in today. Thanks for the good Anish Thos, Sos, Show. The Saturday Show with Edward Hayden. KCLR. With thanks to Lyrath Estate, Kilkenny's luxury hotel. Perfect for spoiling yourself. More details on lyrath.com. Now, good morning. You're very welcome back. It's Edward Hayden here and Niall Breslin uh, on the Sashda show presenting for um, a special edition this morning. And we're having a special edition. There's a very special event taking place uh, starting this coming Tuesday. <coughs> and that is the National Ploughing Championships. And we're delighted to be joined on the telephone line by the Managing Director of the National Ploughing Association, Anna Mae McHugh. Anna Mae, good morning to you. Good morning to you as well and I hope that the weather stays good Oh of course of course well Mary Hilda Kavanagh was just on with us and she was thankful she said from a farming perspective for fine weather today but you're looking for the fine weather anime to extend a little bit longer you have Tuesday morning uh, as the opening of the um, ploughing championships in Rathaniska That is correct yes Tuesday morning at 8am for exhibitors and 9 for the general public so we are hoping, of course, for a fine week. And absolutely, yesterday it rained all day and uh, it did quite a bit of damage to the site, you know. But uh, we have a, a team out there working on it at the moment and they're hoping to have everything in good shape for the opening. And I had seen it online during the week. The site was looking absolutely fantastic. It had a very successful launch recently and it's looking in tip-top condition and no doubt it will it will return to that. Any last-minute advice, um, Anime, for, for people uh, as they get ready to head? Tickets are available online and, and still available, it's my understanding. Yes, they are still available and look, we would advise people to buy online and uh, in the event of that not happening, we cannot guarantee entry, but there will be some uh, entrance gates with cash sales now, but we're not encouraging that element because in the interest of health and safety, we have to abide by the conditions and everything else that's laid down in front of us. Indeed. And of course, you're celebrating this year as well, uh, Anna Mae, because you have uh, 70 years of involvement. So as the fella says, this isn't your first rodeo now. You're well in on it at this stage. You have it off to a tea. Well, look, every year is different. Every year presents its own little problems. And, and, you know, it's never a problem until the problem cannot be solved. But we have a good team of workers with us, great number of volunteers, and everyone willing to be part of it to make it a success for everybody that comes there, for exhibitors, and particularly, of course, for the organisers. Indeed. But we are delighted. We are delighted with progress. There was a big lot of machinery in, a big lot of stands were filled before the weather came broken you know and that was a great help to us I was in the the Abbey Theatre during the week and President and Mrs Higgins were at the Druid Trilogy I was hoping to get over to him to tell him uh, to get himself ready for the ploughing he'll be heading down as I'm sure will the Taoiseach and the Taunashta have you Minister McConnell coming this year anime he's in a bit of uh, hot water at the minute 
We have, we, well, first of all, we have President, uh, and, and, uh, President uh, Higgins and his wife Sabina coming for the official opening on Tuesday. Now, Minister McConnell Oak will be there on all three days, okay. we are told, on all three days. And I'm sure he will be, a question, many questions put to him from the farming community. But then, of course, the government of Ireland have a huge area and have a number of different sections dealing with all aspects of farming. And I'm sure there will be plenty of questions to be asked and hopefully they'll get answers that they will go home happy with. Absolutely. But the Minister has confirmed that he'll be there for all three days. Absolutely. Well, listen, Anna May, all I can do is wish you the very best of luck. Delighted to say I got my lovely handwritten letter and field pass yesterday in the post, so I'm looking forward myself uh, personally to heading to Rathaniska and looking forward to seeing you on Tuesday. But um, we wish you the very best, yourself and Anna Marie and all of the team involved. It's a massive uh, community involvement, so we wish you all of the very best and it's a great source of uh, entertainment and retail and economy um, to not only um, the area, but of course course nationally and internationally as well so uh, the very best wishes with it Well thank you very much and I just want to thank KCLR for all the coverage they have given us over the past few months It's thank our you pleasure, much. good morning to you and amazing on Tuesday, God bless Now Niall, that is the end of the day Thanks a million for coming down, how was uh, Saturday in Kilkenny? I'm getting fired already yeah. <laughs> I've literally made two hours on radio and it was the best two hours of my life Edward Ah well listen, thanks so much, we remind people of course that um, you are coming back to Kilkenny again, today is part of uh, a little promo tour for the Where Is My Mind podcast which is taking place in Set Theatre on the 1st so tickets are available people can come along just to conclude you might just give us a, a, a quick brief reminder of what will be taking place on the night I know I'm going to be there as your guest but there's lots more besides We're going to take an irreverent and heartwarming funny look into the head melty chaos of the modern world and how we can better look after our heads in the midst of it all and there'll be music monologues spoken word guests and chats and it's as I said it's a it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not what you're going to expect to talk about something like this. I think a lot of people enjoy it. It's quite entertaining, and it's a beautiful venue. Set Theatre is one of my favourite venues in the country. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting down to Kilkenny for a few days, and and actually going to stay down for a few days. My auntie and uncle, auntie, oh, auntie Anne and Uncle Richie, live just up the road. How bad? Well, listen, I'm really looking forward uh, to it myself. Lots of friends uh, coming. I don't know what they're expecting or what I'm expecting, but really looking forward to it. And thanks so much thanks for joining for having us. Me, it's guys. our pleasure. Really, really enjoyed it. On Casey Law. It's a real treat. The Casey Law WhatsApp has been hopping all week with your, uh, with, your, uh, with your presence. So thanks very much. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks to our wonderful producer, Ashley McDonald, doing a sterling job each and every day. David Abbott is coming up again a little bit late. One of these days, 10 years on, one day I'll hit the news on time. But we're going to take an ad break first. And David Abbott will be here with uh, your news headlines at um, 12 o'clock. Eddie Hughes is up with the uh, Saturday brunch just after this and lots happening of course indeed right throughout the day on KCLR. Have a good week. God bless. The KCLR text and WhatsApp line 083 306 9696 Sponsored by Dinners Ready Market Yard Kilkenny. Passionate about coffee? Our new barista menu in store serves delicious barista coffee from 8am daily.